Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Last week we started, we talked about Psalm 133. Wonderful passage. We got halfway through. I was intending to get the other half through this morning. I, I, have, I lack the faith this morning. But uh, let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your, for your word. And Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us this morning. Lord, that your word would open up. There would be fresh manna. That your teaching would fall like rain. And Lord, that you would instruct us. And more than that, Lord, you would transform us so that we can become living expressions. Lord, that the word would become flesh in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Psalm 133, we've been looking, we looked at that passage last week. Uh, and it, it says, oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity together. It is like the oil that flows down the beard, down Aaron's beard, touching the, cor- the, the uh, edges of his garment. And, then, and so we looked at that last week. And then he gives us one other, it's a three-verse psalm. He gives us two expressions of the original declaration. He said, it's good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity together. And he gives us some promises connected to that. The psalm ends with it says, that's where God commands his blessings. There's a commanded blessing for those who will live in unity together. And he gives us two illustrations, if you will, of what that looks like. The first one is a vertical flow. He said it's like the oil that flows down the beard, down Aaron's beard, uh, even touching the edges of his garment. He's saying that when we step into unity, it's like anointing. Aaron had a priestly anointing. The oil was poured out upon him and something came upon him to enable him to do things he couldn't do before the oil hit him. That's what the anointing is for. And so what what the psalmist is telling us is there's something accessible in unity that is just like the anointing. It has the same effect. There's something we can touch in unity with each other, that we can all, we also, we, we normally look to for some fresh anointing to come upon us, but the Lord is telling us, hey, some of this is accessible when you reach over the aisle and when we enter into relationship with one another. You ever heard the phrase, don't leave any money on the table? Don't leave anything on the table. The idea is that you, you want to get everything you can out of a situation. Don't leave anything unclaimed. I'm afraid that there's a lot of blessing that has been laid, left unclaimed because we don't think about this element of our walk with God. We think of seeking God, but there's something that we find in seeking one another. There's something that we, we break into with each other that we'll never touch on our own. We talked about Ephesians a little bit last week, and I want to I revisit that because Ephesians chapter 4, I would propose to you that starting in chapter 3 and into chapter 4 of Ephesians is really the New Testament expression of that passage in Psalm, Psalm 133. And you look in that passage, he says that we have each been given a measure of the gift of Christ. So you have a portion, is one translation. You have a measure. You have a deposit. You have a piece of the puzzle. But it's very clear in the book of Ephesians that you cannot touch the fullness of God alone. You cannot have it alone. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. The irreducible minimum of the fullness of Christ is two people. 
There's something that God will give to the two he'll never give to the one because he's meaning for us to be interdependent. And there's things we can't access alone that we can access together. Uh, chapter one of Ephesians, the last two verses, it says, everything has been put under Jesus' feet, comma, for the church, comma, the fullness of him. The church is the fullness of God. You can never have the fullness of God as an individual. There are things that you can have encounters with God. God can teach you, give you revelation, and all those things. But there's going to be a limitation as long as it's just you and Jesus. And I know that sounds heretical, but it's scriptural. There are things in God you can never touch until you reach across the table and grab someone else's hand. There's a deposit of heaven that is in your neighbor that God will never give directly to you. He's going to give it through the person across the aisle. You can put it this way. Often the answer to our prayer is sitting next to us in church. And we're crying out to God to give us the answer. And if we would just look across the aisle and strike up a conversation and get into relationship, we would often find the very thing we're looking for. I firmly believe that the vast majority of what we need as a believer is already found in the local church to which we are connected. Many times when I first got saved, uh, I, I was raised up in a ministry that taught us to fast and pray. And so I would be crying out to God for an answer. And I would, man, I'd spend weeks praying about certain things. And it was like the heavens were brass. And I'd give up and go out to coffee with someone. And in the the course of the conversation, they would answer all the questions I'd been asking the Lord. It was an amazing thing. They would just casually share the very thing I was asking the Lord about. And so the fullness of God is found in the body. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, it, it says, we have each been given a measure of the gift of Christ. And it says in there, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That word make every effort has the idea of be quick about it and be, be very intentional. Go after this thing. Why? Because the unity of the spirit is what enables us to access the fullness of God. So if you're really hungry for God, you've got to get hungry for one another. You've got to have relationships with other godly people. And we need to open ourselves. And it, Let me just get off on a tangent here. I have no problem with home, home churches. I really don't. I think if, you, if God's called you to have a home church, more power to you. It just needs to be more than your family. Because if the only teaching, the only expression, the only thing that you're accessing is what God's put in your family, you're going to end up with three-eyed children. You're going to end up inbred and dysfunctional. You have to get outside of your home. There are things, well, let's go a little further down this path. Here's the bad news. I know I'm supposed to be a good news preacher. Here's the bad news. There is no such thing as a fully functional home. Every one of you got some dysfunction. Different degrees, but we all have some issues. And if you don't ex expose yourself to anything outside of your home, if you don't, if all you, all you, <laughs> There were things that I thought my family was normal until I started getting around other people and I realized, whoa, not everybody does it our way. And sometimes our way wasn't the best way. And so we need to expose ourselves to other people. So it says in that passage, 
keep the unity of the spirits of the bond of peace. It says, we have each been given a measure of the gift of Christ. Then it goes into, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the building up of the body, uh, for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body, for the works of ministry until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and the full measure of the gift of Christ. The fullness of Christ is found in the body. But how do we get there? Keeping the unity of the spirit, coming under authority. That's what the first part of this passage is. The oil flows down. Get under people in the Lord. Get under people. Submit to their leadership, their authority. God will appoint leaders over us. My my dad used to say, get under the spot where the glory comes out. (laughs) Get under people that and, and honor their authority and what they have. Build relationship with them. Because the wonderful thing, you can get for free what it took them years to labor for. If you will yield and you will honor what they carry. And that's that five-fold gift. But then it moves into the second part. It is as if, this is Psalm 133, the second expression. It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. So now we have this vertical flow. So there's Ephesians chapter 4. We have a measure. God gave us uh, leadership gifts to get under. And we receive from their gift. It's a wonderful thing. You guys just honored us as pastors. And this is what I was thinking when you were praying for me. I'm thinking, this is a wonderful gig. That I get paid to hear from God. And you know what? I will hear from God simply because you make a demand on me. There is this scripture I came across years ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul said, I knew you had great destiny because my preaching came with such power. And I, lit, I thought, oh my goodness. You know what? What flows through a preacher has more to do with the hearer than the speaker. If you will lay a claim on the gift of God within me, It'll pull it out of me, and I'll get a boatload in the process. It's like when Peter let Jesus use his boat, he ended up with a boatload. I get something because you're putting a claim on me. And there are times where I'll be preaching. You think, okay, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. But there's times when I'm preaching, I think, I need to write that down. I never knew that. That, that was, you know, because I'm getting revelation, but it's because you're putting a claim on what I have. If you will honor the gift on my life, we both get blessed. And But here, it doesn't stop there. That's the vertical. There is a horizontal flow. If I will honor the gift of God on your life, then we'll both get blessed. And there is this cross-pollinization that God intends for the church to step into. It's fascinating to me that he uses this illustration as what is accessed through unity. He said it's as if the dew of Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. Do. Now, I told you last week, when the Lord first started dealing with me on this, I, it was Paul Yudal was here, and he, he had released that word, the dew of Hermon will be released, and I, I, I didn't catch it, but I felt something in power. I told you that whole story. Go back to the podcast. We don't have time this morning. And uh, I got up, nine months later, he was here again. I got up, and I walked out into the, the side of the building. I looked out through the glass doors, and I looked at the field that we own. And all of a sudden, I went into a vision, and it was as if the Lord put a, a big glass bowl over our property and poured this golden oil. It was like a golden dome of oil. And I was excited. <laughs> and then he said, the dew of Hermon will be released. 
And I was excited by what I saw, but frankly confused and even a little disappointed by what I heard. Because I'm thinking, Lord, I want outpourings. Not, you know, little, I'm thinking, I want, I want power. And the Lord told me, it's my non-disruptive way of nourishing the land. And he had my attention. Because revival is exhausting. And there are times for rain. But I'm telling you, the, the superior expression and what God wants to bring us into is the dew of Hermon. He told me this. Because I asked him, I said, God, why do? And he said, it's my non-disruptive way of nourishing the land. And then he told me this. He said, rain was made necessary by the fall. Now, that, that messed with my theology. I'm a revival guy. But I had to think of my biblical history. The garden was watered by hidden caverns underneath the ground that would emit a mist every morning in the form of dew. It was like a fog would, the, the mist, it would be released and there would be this misty fog over paradise. And that's how what we know as paradise or the Garden of Eden was watered. And it wasn't until sin got to the point where God said, I'm going to judge the earth through a flood. And it says the deeps opened up, shot geysers. And there was even, no, we don't have time to get into this, but it says the water. Remember in, in, in the creation it said there was water above and there was water beneath and the expanse between them was sky. Many believe that there was this translucent shield that's been replicated in certain laboratory conditions that held back millions of gallons of water and the sun would shine through the water through this translucent shield and created this perfect greenhouse effect. But when the deeps opened up, the, the geysers, the tectonic shift, there was geysers that shattered that shield and millions of gallons of water fell on the earth immediately in the form of the flood. And it changed the atmospheric conditions. It was no longer paradise. The, the earth shifted. That's why we have our polar, you know, our polar caps. And uh, they found woolly mammoths with green grass still in their mouth, frozen. Because it was an instantaneous thing. If you look at the nations, they fit back together. But it was the result of the fall. And from then on, then it would begin to rain. Before that, the ground, these hidden reserves would emit a mist. And that was how God watered the land. We talked a couple weeks ago about how there's these four expressions in Scripture. There was, there's wells of salvation, outpourings of the Spirit, or no, rivers of living water and the baptism. And then there's revival atmospheres of outpouring. But what God wants to bring us to is this expression of the Spirit called dew. It's non-disruptive. The dew nourishes the land. We don't have to wait to go out to the car and you ladies don't have to redo your hair when you get there because it's not raining. Okay, not just you ladies. I'm picky about my hair too. I, I admit it. I've got to be honest here. But the dew is accessed. This expression of the spirit is accessed through relationship. Let me back up and take a different run at this. Matthew 16. If you, you remember Matthew 16, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he said, you know how to read the signs, the weather conditions. He said, you know, essentially he's, he's using, he's saying this phrase. We, have, we say it this way in American idioms. He says, red at night, sailor's delight. Red in the morning, sailor's warning. 
Remember he, when Jesus talked about that in Matthew 16? He said, but you don't know the signs of the times. He's rebuking them. And it's interesting to me, what he's saying is, you know how to read atmospheric conditions. You, you've learned to read the weather conditions and in so doing, anticipate what's, what's going to show up in the future because of what's happening now. Remember, my mom would say that when we were little kids. Oh, red in the morning, sailor's warning. You guys aren't going to be out playing today. She was reading the weather conditions in anticipation of what was coming. And what Jesus is saying is that spiritual conditions can be read in the same way. We need to become spiritual meteorologists. We need to be able to read the spiritual conditions. And as we learn the ways of God, we can understand, oh, this is happening. This is about to happen. It's not that we need to hear from the Lord because we know his ways. We need to know the movings of the Spirit. We need to know the ways of God so that we can anticipate what's coming next. There are certain conditions that can actually produce the dew of Hermon. There are ways, matter of fact, scientists now manipulate weather conditions. There is such a thing as weather warfare. Did you know that? Yeah. Weather warfare. They will seed the clouds to, to have thing, certain things happen. They'll introduce elements into the atmosphere to create weather conditions to sabotage the enemy's plans. And we need to understand, we can operate spiritually in weather warfare. We can actually produce dew. We can actually create conditions so outpourings happen. God has left that in our hands. He's, he's given us the ability to attract heaven's activity. And he gives us some of the clues in this passage. And in this context, Psalm 133, living in unity together is one of the ways that we will attract this expression of the Spirit, the dew of Hermon. Now, if you look in Scripture, do, there's, there's a phrase that is repeated a number of times. When it talks about do, it's referred to as the do of heaven. When, when do happens, it's usually early in the morning, and it's because the ground has cooled, and the hot air from the night before touches the, the, the ground, and what is in the atmosphere as unseen moisture can no longer remain unseen, it begins to manifest itself. It begins to dr create droplets and show up in the physical realm. We use the term dew point. You know, you, you'll, watch, you'll watch a meteorologist and they'll say the dew point today. The dew point is simply the amount of moisture that is in the atmosphere, in the air. There is such a thing as arid air. It's very dry. You go to Arizona, I'm told, that it's a dry heat. It's very dry. There's not much moisture in the air. You go to Iowa, you get humidity. You go to Mississippi, it's soupy. They literally call it that, and I would verify it. It's soupy. I used to tell my father-in-law, because we'd go down and visit him, he'd have his long Wranglers on, his long sleeve shirt, sitting on the front porch, and that heat 
with his hot coffee and just, he, he wouldn't be breaking a sweat. And meanwhile, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm dying. Or we go to Columbia. They'll have winter jackets on and a scarf and I'm in a short, and I'm just pouring down sweat. It's so, I'm not used to that. I used to tell my father-in-law, because they also had soft water. So you know how soft water is? You feel like you can't get the soap off you? I said, the problem is, I'll take a shower at your house, and by the time I got to my car, my, I, my legs rubbed together, and I'm sudsing up again. You know, it's like it was so hot on you know? It's, it's just hot. It's soupy. You can feel it, but you can't see it. Now, we all know that those conditions are true spiritually as well. You ever been to an arid church? You ever been in a season of aridity in your life where it just feels like things are dry? It's interesting that scripture says, when Jesus said, when you cast out a devil, he goes to the dry places. Don't dwell in dry places. As a matter of fact, don't allow it to be dry where you dwell. <laughs> Better yet, you know, don't be dependent on someone else to create the environmental conditions conducive to the water showing up. Create it yourself. Then there's humid air, and then there's soupy air. When it's soupy, you can feel it. You may not see it, but you can feel the presence of God. But there's that place where dew is where what is unseen but felt can no longer remain unseen. It, ha it begins to manifest in droplets in the, on the ground. It shows up, it manifests that's what dew is. Dew is that the air can no, the, there's so much water in the air, it can no longer remain in the air. It has to begin to dump out and expel some of that on the ground. And there are conditions that are conducive to that. And what the psalmist is telling us, spiritually speaking, unity is how that happens. But here's the problem. Unity it's not just something you decide, yeah, I'm going to do that. There is a challenge to unity. I'm not talking about spiritual acquaintances. I'm talking about fighting for unity. Fighting for relationship. Making a commitment. I am going to be unoffendable because I realize that what you carry, I need. And so I'm going to fight for a relationship with you. The great barrier to unity is the barrier of familiarity. It's easy to honor a mystery. It's easy to honor someone. I, I, you know, when I go somewhere else, sometimes if, if I ever talk on this subject, I'll tell them it's easy to honor me. I'm, I'm going to roll in here and preach my best message and wear my nicest shirt. You know, I'll get a haircut before I show up. And you don't have to live with me. And so I, I can come off well, but... I live with my wife and my children and, and I rub shoulders with you. And to the degree that you know me, it's a greater challenge to honor me. And that's true of all of us. The challenge of familiarity is that we can forfeit what someone's carries because we stumble over what they don't carry. Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 4, he got up, at, it says he went to Nazareth where he was raised. And, and he stepped into the, the temple that day and he grabbed the scroll, they handed it to him, and he unrolled it to Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he read that whole passage, rolled it back up, sat down and said, all the eyes were upon him. 
And he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight today. Boom, mic drop. I mean, what a stunning thing. And it says that they were all struck by his gracious words and they all spoke well of him. They literally, gracious words, grace entered the atmosphere. Something shifted and they were in this environment and they sensed it. And then somebody spoke up and said, yeah, but ain't this Mary and Joseph's boy? Don't we remember he... And Jesus spoke up and said, you're going you're to quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. He said, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. See, what Psalm 133 is talking about is the challenge of the hometown prophet or the hometown evangelist or the hometown fill in the blank. It's a challenge for somebody to be raised up within their own hometown and be honored for the gift that they have. It takes a higher level of honor, a higher level of maturity to live in unity and really honor what people, when you know someone, to honor what they carry. But what I'm telling you is the barrier between outpourings and the greenhouse effect of dew, the barrier between that is the challenge of honoring familiarity. That when we can really live together and rub shoulders, and sometimes the, the thing we need most from each other is hidden under the irritation of something we did or said or how we do stuff. But if we can climb over that and still honor that gift, I'm telling you, it takes a higher level of maturity. But if we can step into that, then we break into this greenhouse effect environmentally. That there's an environmental anointing, there is a corporate anointing. That's different than an than a individual anointing. A corporate anointing is what is a group of people called to carry? What are the mandates that God has called them together for? When you find your tribe, that, that group of people you're supposed to run with, and you really begin to have relationship with one another and honor one another, and when you're irritated with each other, you keep short accounts and you climb over that stuff so you can live in unity together. There's something we break into that is inaccessible in any other way. The fullness of God begins to dwell there. It's environmental. There's an environmental anointing. I remember the first time I ever went to Bethel out in Reading. I went with Papa Jack. Went out there. He was going to go out there and honor Bill Johnson. I said, hey, can I tag along? Because I knew if you go with Jack, you get special seating and all that, you know. Walking. I felt like the mouse in the elephant's ear, you know. We're walking across the bridge. Aren't we shaking this bridge? You know. And, uh, so, I, and so he invited a bunch. So there was a whole group of us, and we had a great time. And uh, we're driving back to the airport, and I said this to Jack. I said, Jack, will I bend to Reading on a Sunday morning? And I said, to be honest, I'd just soon be at Heartland. He looked at me. <laughs> I said, I'd just soon be at Heartland. But I told him, because what I discovered is the, the strength of that house and what they're putting out to the nations and the phenomenal amount of leaders that they're raising up is not because of their Sunday morning event. It's not the event, it's the culture. There's a culture that they have that they're able to pull on one another and lay claim to the hidden reserves, the caverns beneath the surface. 
that they'll honor the gifts and callings in one another. Paradise was watered by the hidden caverns, not the heavens opening up and raining down, but the hidden caverns underneath their feet, and it emitted a mist. And what the psalm is saying is that the dew of Hermon, it's as if the, the dew of Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. What he's saying is when we live in unity together, we're, not, we're no longer dependent upon revival outpourings. Oh, those, those are good, and we, we cry out for those, and the city needs it and all that. There's a superior expression that we're accessing the hidden reserves within one another. There are caverns of the anointing that some of you carry, you don't even know it. And God wants to give us discernment. He wants to give us eyes to see each other. Paul said, I know no man after the flesh, though I once did. He said, I know no man after the flesh. What does that mean? He's saying, I'm not evaluating you by your failures. I'm not evaluating you by the, the, the physical appearance and the physical, uh, you know, I'm not evaluating from natural means. I'm seeing you from the spirit. I'm evaluating by the spirit of God and I'm seeing who you really are. And then I'm gonna relate with you for that way from then on. And I will believe in you before you believe in yourself. And my interaction with you will actually be a gravitational pull. It'll be a form of peer pressure, if you will, that will pull you into your destiny because I'm going to treat you as the person you're becoming. That's what God has called us to do. But that demands that we don't stumble over the little idiosyncrasies and the failures and all those things. I'm telling you, if, when God can find a church that really walks in this, when God can find a church that we love each other well and that we go after relationship, that we, we, hey, and problems happen. There are no relationships without conflict, but conflict can be the end of the road or it can be the threshold of deeper relationship. It can actually be the ground upon which intimacy is developed. But it takes a determination. I am going to fight for this relationship. And what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the context of that is that we all have a measure, but he wants to give us the fullness in the body. The context is there's more on the line than your feelings. There's more on the line than your desires and your agendas. You, you will, if, and breaking fellowship with a brother or sister, you actually forfeit the fullness of God. There's something of God that he has placed within every brother and sister in Christ. And if you really understand that, you'll go after that and you'll honor and you'll call that forth so that everybody can enjoy it. But if you view people after the flesh, you'll write people off and you'll view them from a human perspective and forfeit what they carry. I think one of the reasons that Jesus is going to wipe away tears in heaven is because when we get there, we're going to see how much we left on the table. We're going to realize what we didn't access in one another, even in ourselves. And the fact is, for me to come into who I'm called to be, I need you to lay a claim on it. And for you to come into who you're called to be, I need to lay a claim on it. And when we do that and we call each other higher, I'm telling you, a true prophetic church is a church that not only listens to the prophetic words they get as an individual or the words we get as a corporate body, but we listen to the words each other get. And then we remind one another, hey, remember what the Lord said about you? 
And we treat them as that person they're becoming. That's a prophetic person. A prophetic church literally does become a greenhouse effect of positive peer pressure. And we're calling each other higher. We're reminding, I remember what the Lord said about you. I remember what the Lord said about you. And we don't let them live beneath that calling. And that creates this greenhouse environment. The, a greenhouse is where the, what's in the atmosphere is conducive to tremendous growth. You can have freezing cold outside and you can see it because it's all glass. But inside there's this dome of fertility. And the, the environmental conditions are perfect to grow plants up to their fullness and their full maturity and their full fruit. Their full, full beauty. That's what the dew of Hermon does when we begin to lay a claim on one another's gifting. But it takes a higher level of maturity. Years ago, I don't remember who said it, I don't remember where I read it, but I, I read somewhere they said, Unity is simply corporate humility. I thought, wow, what a, what a powerful and challenging word. Unity is corporate humility. That we're going to live in humility with one another because I realize I don't have everything I need in God with just God. There was a reason that God, who took walks with them every night, looked at Adam and said, ain't good for you to be alone. And Adam could argue, well, Lord, Lord, I'm not alone. Man, you and I are developing real intimacy here. We're, we're hanging out every night. I've got a real relationship. God said, no, you're alone until there's a humanoid walking with you. And so we need people and we need one another. And if you're called to this body, then you're called to make relationships in this body. Because we share a calling. The promised land was divided among tribes. Find your tribe, you find your inheritance. But it's hidden within one another. And you got to climb over the irritations and your own fears and insecurities. And the deeper the relationships, the more that environment becomes a conducive to growth. So what does the psalmist say? It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. After the Lord spoke that to me that day when I, I jumped up and said that, went outside and I saw that vision, I began to ask the Lord, God, what does that mean? What is this thing about Hermon and Mount Zion? What in the world is that? So then I did my geographical study. I looked into it, and, and uh, I've never been to Israel one of these days. You know, I was telling someone last week, I got an all-expense trip to Israel a couple years ago, but I was scheduled to speak at a conference the day that they were coming back, and I said, I can't go. I, I'm, and I was bummed. And I was really bummed when I showed up at the conference and the guy that went in my place was there giving his testimony about the trip he just went on. <laughs> so there's something about the calendar, you know. Anyway, I digress. So I began to study about this thing on Mount Zion and Hermon. And then I found out it's physically impossible. They're too far apart. The, the dew of Hermon is not going to show up on Mount Zion. So what does that mean? That's impossible. And one day I was laying up here on the stage in the middle of the day, soaking. I wasn't snorking this time. I was really soaking. And I was asking the Lord, God, what does that mean? And it hit me. That's the point. The dew of Hermon will, unity is as if the dew of Hermon will fall on Mount Zion. When I'm in relationship with Ty, if I'm in unity with him, if he has dew on him, I get wet. Why? 
I don't need the blessing he got because I got him. And if I have him, I get the blessing too. I don't need Roger's gift. I need Roger because in getting Roger, I get his gift. And I get something that I'll never get on my own. I'll tell you one thing Roger has that I'll never have is that level of energy. Man, he prays, he shows up. I love when Roger comes to prayer on Wednesday morning. I do, I mean it. Man, that guy, he stokes the fire. He'll come for about a half hour, stoke the fire. And then all of a sudden his voice is gone and it's still burning. I love to pray with Roger. I don't need to have what he has because I have him. We're in unity together. We're, we're family. And so I can access what's happening in him. That is the point of the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. The answer to your heart cry is often sitting next to you in church and you don't know it. And sometimes is wrapped in a, a form that somewhat irritates you. God will actually put it in someone that's going to cause, you're going to have to climb over something to get to that thing that's so valuable. But if you have eyes of faith and you see people after the spirit, we need to ask the Lord, God, open my eyes. I want to see people after the spirit. I shared a couple weeks ago, Ray, where are you at? Ray Henderson, where are you at, Ray? He's a, he, is he up, up in the cheap seats? It, uh, one time... I told you a couple weeks ago when I prayed for Ray, I have never been able to view Ray the same way again. I, there he is right there coming in. I'm telling you, in the spirit, he doesn't fit through that door. <laughs> I've seen him in the spirit. I was so blown away. I was like, oh, I was, it just produced a humility in me. Like, oh man, I can't believe I get to run with Jesus, run after Jesus with these guys. We need to ask God for that. Lord, let us see one another through the Spirit. And let us become the pressure on them to step into their destiny. I've seen this many, many times when I'm praying for people. I'll see like, it's like a mold. Like if you wanted to make a chocolate, Dave, you know, you pour a plastic mold around me. <laughs> expand the chest area and shoulder area a little bigger. And then you could fill it with chocolate and have a chocolate. That translucent mold. I've seen that when I'm praying for people. I'll see them, but there's this translucent mold and it's bigger. And it's like God's wanting to step into the bigger them. It's like it's already waiting for them to step into. And they're so much bigger than they realize. It would take more chocolate to fill who you really are than what you're walking in. Now, if someone just took that out and put that as a quote, people would think, what are they talking about at Hartman? <laughs> but I'm telling you there's, you, there's more to who you are than you realize. And part of the way that God's going to get you there is to show other people that and they treat you and they begin to speak into you. And they believe in you before you believe in yourself. We all need that. We need people around us that believe in, believe in us before we believe in ourselves. And they, that will pull us into the future. Let's go ahead and stand. It's afternoon here this morning. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you didn't leave us alone. But you gave us brothers and sisters. Lord, you put the lonely in families. 
And you use those family relationships to pull us into who we're called to be. Lord, I'm asking God that you would create something in this house. Lord, that would make people automatically grow. Lord, that we would find, Lord, we would learn how to go into weather warfare and create environmental conditions that create a greenhouse that pull people into their destiny. And Lord, let us speak that over one another. I thank you for it. Father, I thank you for relationships, the gift of relationships. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful. And Lord, we're asking for more. Teach us to go deeper, not just in you, but with each other, Lord. And Lord, help us to steward those relationships well. Help us to understand they are truly a spiritual thing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.